Welcome to the drdavidmarlin.com Stable Science Podcast. I'm Dr. David Marlin, and along with a great team of experts, I'm helping horse owners and riders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. In these podcasts, we will discuss science-led research, technology, information, and advice to help you care for your horses so they may live healthier, happier, and longer lives. To support the podcast and all our research and science for horses, go to our website, www.drdavidmarlin.com, and to learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, and welcome to this research review podcast. My name is Dr. Gillian Tabor. I'm a chartered physiotherapist, and I specialize in the treatment and the rehabilitation of horses. So I've picked a paper to talk about in this podcast that really caught my eye. The title of the paper is The Influence of Chronic Lameness on Thoracolumbar Multifidus Structure in the Horse. The authors are Sullivan, Arcutt, Barrett, Salmon, Ellis and King, and it comes out of Colorado State University in America. It was published in the Journal of Equine Veterinary Science in October of last year, 2022. So this paper got my attention, firstly, because I've read some research by some of the authors, uh, certainly Ellis and King, who have published on the area of, sort of in the area of muscle size, especially multifidus, after rehab exercises. So this links quite closely, I think, to their previous study. But I've got a personal interest in multifidus. A couple of decades ago, my master's project was looking at whether we could measure the cross-sectional area of multifidus with ultrasound imaging. Uh, that was taken on uh, and brilliantly expanded upon by Dr. Narelle Stubbs, who obviously uh, has published in the area and has talked about the effect of our dynamic mobilization exercises, aka carrot stretches, on the size of multifidus, and it also looked at the relationship between changes in the spine, so bony changes such as osteoarthritis and signs of impinging spinous processes, known as kissing spines, uh, and looked at the relationship between those bony changes and the size of multifidus. So it's an area that has been uh, studied quite well, considering uh, how little research there is out there on 
you know, the horse and rehab in particular. So as I said, this paper, the title caught my attention. So I'm going to talk you through it. I'm going to talk about sort of my thought processes of the uh, actual study and then what I think is the main take home message from it uh, and why I think it's important. So every paper that's published in journals has to demonstrate uh, rationale for their study. So in the introduction to the paper, these authors produce a a well-written background. Um, They provide the research that has gone before them to try and explain why they wanted to do this study. So basically the literature out there really highlights the fact that there is a link between back pain and lameness. We don't really understand the relationship, but we do know that if in uh, horses we induce lameness, so we make them lame artificially for research purposes, uh, it actually changes how the thoracolumbar spine moves. And we also know that the thoracolumbar spine moves in different ways if you change a pre-existing lameness with diagnostic algesia. So what that tells us is that this relationship is a pattern of compensation. So if you've got pain in the limbs, the horse will then change the way it moves its back. And this is really important because the spine obviously is a critical part to the performance of the ridden horse. Um, We know that it has to be highly functional. It has to have what we term stability. So it has to have the motor control. So the muscle action around it needs to control both the fine small movements between each of the vertebrae and then the global movement across the whole of the spine and across the horse Um, in total. So we know that forces act upon the spine and so the muscles and the um, (laughs) responding joints uh, have to then cope with the forces destabilizing the body. So it's highly complex and we know that back pain is unfortunately very common in horses. So the more we know about it, then hopefully the closer we'll get to being more accurate as to how we manage it. So the introduction goes on to talk about the history of finding out about multifidus, the human research that um, sort of set us up in the pathway. So this, the human research actually now is sort of fairly old, um, but we know that there is a relationship between the size of multifidus and the pathology in the area, so the injury or disease of the area. Um, And then we also know, thanks to um, Dr. Stubbs' work, that the actual anatomy of the multifidus in the horse, okay, the spine is horizontal, not vertical, but the fascicle uh, bundles, the structure of it, is actually fairly similar to how it's aligned in the human. So we know that it is involved in uh, this complex area of spinal stability. So these authors wanted to look to see uh, whether there was a relationship between the size of the multifidus, which they evaluated with ultrasound imaging, and lameness. But what's interesting with this is it wasn't an induced lameness, which we have seen in other research, but they looked at what they termed chronic research. So it had to be lameness that had been present in the horses for more than six weeks. 
So they also divided up their study into being interested into whether there were forelimb lamenesses or hindlimb lamenesses. And then they compared these uh, ultrasound changes with groups of sound horses. So their hypothesis was that the thoracolumbar multifidus was going to be significantly smaller um, on the in the horses that had lameness and on the same side as the lameness. We've seen this in humans actually, this pattern of asymmetry and also the uh, cadaver studies have shown that there has been an asymmetry and related to the spinal level where you have those changes in the spine. So we go on to the methods then of the paper and any good paper should have methods that are clear enough for anybody to reproduce and I'm pleased to say with this study it's very detailed and you could just replicate the way that they investigated these horses which is always reassuring that you can then have confidence that actually the results are relevant and they are applicable to practice rather than um, being a little bit sort of um, lacking detail and then it leaves you with lots of questions. The start of the method section did sample size calculation which is good because a lot of studies in these areas have very small sample sizes and they found that they needed an N of 12, so 12 horses. But because they had these three groups, they had the single forelimb lameness, the uh, single hind limb lameness, and the sound group, they had 12 horses in each of those groups. So a total of 36 horses, which, as I said, for our area, that's quite a lot of horses. They had a range of ages from 4 to 18. The mean was 9.9 years. And they had uh, 17 mares and they had 19 geldings and they were of mixed breeds and that's quite good in a way because then we can extrapolate out this data into our general horse population. So to be enrolled in the research the horses had to have had two veterinary exams in the last six months to be diagnosed as lameness and they had to have a predominantly uh, a predominant limb that was lame either in the forelimb or the hind limb and they used the naught uh, to five scale of lameness and they needed horses that had a greater or equal of two out of five lameness and that had to be localized to the limb either with diagnostic algesia or with clinical examination. For the sound horses, they had to be less than or equal to one out of five lameness in all four limbs. And then they had quite a good list of things that they would exclude, uh, the types of horses or the presentations that they would not allow to be included in the study. And that was stallions, draft breeds, donkeys, mules, anything with a neurological component to their lameness. I think that was important that that was uh, stated as well. And then they also said that they didn't want the horses to have been enrolled in a rehabilitation program. And they also didn't want them to have had any positive outcome from local analgesia in the thoracolumbar region or any back treatment and they listed the kind of treatments that they didn't want to include so whether that was injection through medications whether it was shockwave or manual therapy and this is quite good because what this then tells us is that we are trying to look at a primary limb lameness and the effect on the spine but not horses that had anything primarily wrong with the spine so actually as part of the study if when they were scanning the backs they found that there were bony changes then those horses were excluded as well 
Each horse then underwent a lameness evaluation. They had a subjective gait assessment, so they were observed by um, highly qualified vets. And also they had an objective lameness assessment. And to do this, they used kits with inertial motion sensors. They actually used the lameness locator to actually confirm which limb was a predominantly lame limb. And then also that it was of a significant grading enough to be included and um, considered to be you know, a chronic lameness they then provided lots of details of how they actually did the ultrasound imaging and having done it myself it's um, when you know what you're looking for and the anatomical um, uh, features that you use to ensure that you are repeatable and reliable it is actually um, not too difficult but you have to know what you're doing so they actually measured the size of the multifidus at six spinal levels. So they had T12, T14, T16, T18, L2 and L5. What was especially good about the way that they carried out this protocol was the person that was doing the ultrasound imaging was uh, blinded. So they did not know which group the horses were in. Um, so they did not know whether it was a sound horse or it was a horse with a forelimb or a hindlimb lameness. And they also didn't know that if it was going to be a lame horse, which side the horse was lame on. And that's important because that person is then truly independent and there's no bias whether it is conscious or subconscious um, there's no way that they could have affected the results so that was really nice to see and to have that stated again reassures me that there are methods where you know they attempted to do these uh, to the sort of best that they could so the uh, forelimb lame horses sort of averaged uh, a three out of five lameness and the hind limb ones had a four out of five lameness and all the sound horses had no lameness. The durations were slightly different. The forelimb lameness, um, they were lame for 17 weeks, whereas the hind limb were for eight weeks. And obviously the sound ones didn't have a duration. And then we go move on to the results. So there was quite some complex statistical analysis. So they used models where they inputted all the different variables and gradually uh, when you do this um, modeling, you take out the factors that aren't significant and you come down to really highlighting which ones are going to affect the results more than others. Um, they actually uh, came up uh, with the statement that they were only going to talk about the final models. So they'd obviously done quite a bit of work to get to the results that they had. Um, I'm not a statistician. I can you, I can work through um, basic stats. So I, I would have to trust them that this is the right way to do it. But the results showed some interesting outcomes. So multifidus was largest in all horses at T18 compared with T14 and L5, and that was all groups and all sides. And in sound horses, multifidus was larger than the horses with forelimb lameness, and that was statistically significant. There was no significant differences, though, compared with sound horses and hind limb lameness. And there was no significant differences between forelimb and hind limb lamenesses. What I would have liked to see really was the effect size. So look to see um, what the value of those differences were. Um, because they stated statistical differences. But I don't know what the minimal clinically important difference is. So 
actually I suppose the authors don't either so I don't know whether they could have done that but actually putting in some effect size might have been quite useful. And then there was no significant differences between the side of the limb and the multifidus that uh, was measured. So there was no difference between lame and non-lame sides in the horse's spine. They actually did look at some other factors. So uh, there was no significant difference between lameness grading. Um, there was significant differences for the duration of the lameness and the size of the horse. But they then uh, stated that they didn't discuss those further because they wanted to focus on the key results. So um, the outcome is, is that they reject the hypothesis regarding the fact that the uh, muscle size would be different between left and right or lame and non-lame because the actual atrophy was bilateral when it related to a forelimb lameness and um, they had to reject the hypothesis about a smaller multifidus in horses that had hind limb lameness because it was only in the forelimb horses where the difference was seen. And there was no difference between the sides either in the sound group of horses. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So the discussion in this paper, um, I think takes a you know, fairly standardized route, suggesting that um, it's not unsurprising that there was a change in multivity size in the horses of the forelimb lameness. We know in humans that the actual proportion of the muscle atrophy correlates with the muscle strength. So in horses, are we seeing this size of the multifidus as muscle weakness? And then if we are, what consequence does that have on the horse? Because if we think that multifidus is the primary spinal stabilizer because of its um, anatomical structure um, and where it is in the spine, then if it's weak, are we then going to have spinal dysfunction? And if we have dysfunction, i.e. it's not working optimally, uh, are we going to get lesions in the spine? And there is a, a list of suggested lesions that we could have. So we could have problems with the ligaments and then we could have bony changes. So we could have osteoarthritis or the facet joints could become inflamed and we have synovitis. We could even have disc degeneration and potentially nerve impingement. Now, we haven't got that link yet, um, but it is a question, isn't it? If we've got muscle weakness in the spine, then what is the consequence to it? Basically, because of the time frame of the lameness in these horses being more than six weeks, we can suggest that with chronic lameness, there is long-term adaptation in the spine. So 
this is going to be no surprise for those of you that know my job area. Um, this really supports the idea that we must consider the spine as well as the injured leg when it comes to our treatments. And the discussion uh, by the authors does put a call out for suggesting that equine practitioners need to include therapeutic protocols for the spine. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us with physio, doesn't it? It leaves us with trying to restore optimum function. And we've got some research about methods that we can do that. So we know our dynamic mobilizations actually um, are going to change the multifidus size. There is a paper on functional electrical stimulation that changes multifidus size. And then there's also one on whole body vibration. Although with that one, maybe I'll talk about that in another podcast. I do have some questions about the um, methodology of of that but uh, the two of the authors Ellison King published their paper on looking at multifidus size and spinal stability or postural stability rather in horses that were being rehabbed for lameness and their combination of approaches so they used um, body weight rocking exercises they used carrot stretches they used um, the uh, elastic resistance bands and they used a water treadmill and they influenced the size of multifidus so basically I think it's safe to say that we need to aim to increase the multifidus size and strength if we want to have um, a, sort of a reversal of this compensation that is occurring in the spine. And we know that the treatments are effective in humans. So uh, it's uh, yeah, a, a horse that is lame or a horse that is off work, a horse that is in work, a horse that is performing well. I think we need to consider the spine health. Another key point that the authors pulled out was this fact that the multifidus cross-sectional area was the largest at T18. So there's obviously links with that key area. And where is that area? That is right, you know, it, well, hopefully your saddles don't um, put too much weight beyond this area, but it's it's that area at the back of the saddle that carries um, probably the most load. It has a uh, the mobility of that area when we look just slightly in front of it has got the most axial rotation the most lateral bending and then behind that area in the lumbar spine we then start to get more flexion and extension so it's a real junction box for movement mobility and therefore the requirement for the neuromotor control so the muscles to work effectively around it to create stability in the posture that we want so that may be why the multifidus is biggest in the area so in horses that have got fallen lameness, do we need to focus you know, more on that area? Well, I think it's quite difficult to isolate it. So let's you know, try and treat the whole spine. The discussion, as um, every good discussion should have, includes some limitations. Uh, it talks about the fact that they didn't measure the exercise program in the horses. So maybe those that had the uh, more forelimb lameness were in less work. So maybe that's why the cross-sectional area reduced. Um, they don't um, have, that. they didn't measure that. They also said that there was no significant difference in the size between lame and non-lame, but they wondered whether actually that was to do with the methods of taking the measurement or even the analysis of it so um, it's nice that they recognize that you know science isn't it's imperfect isn't it we're just all trying to do our best so this is why these limitations sections are really important 
They also said that although they excluded horses when they ultrasounded them that had obvious bony changes, they didn't image the thoracolumbar spine. So there was no x-rays or um, uh, scans specifically looking for that spinal pathology. So there could potentially be in some of these horses the um, undiagnosed pathology. But then that would be a random effect that would go across all the three groups, sound horses or not. So um, I, th- I think that is obviously something to highlight. And in a in a perfect world, you'd have their back, you know, radiographs throughout, uh, so that you knew what you were dealing with. But um, yeah, they they didn't have that. So. In conclusion, there was bilateral atrophy of multifidus muscle in horses that had a forelimb lameness. They couldn't say the nature of this relationship. And I just want to have a word about this concept of correlation and causation. So we've seen an association in this paper between the size of multifidus and forelimb lameness. But what that doesn't tell us is what causes what. So... I'm not suggesting that uh, atrophy of multifidus causes lameness, but what if um, there's a cycle that uh, the reduction in the multifidus size actually propagates the lameness or prevents uh, restoration or recovery from lameness or prolongs the lameness in some way? Uh, So which came first? Did the horse go lame and then multifidus atrophied? Or was the horse more likely or... um, more at risk of becoming lame because there wasn't the spinal stability. Now, I don't know the answer to that question, but it's really important for us to remember that these studies, although they show an association, uh, they show this relationship, they don't actually um, help us with the causation direction. So that would need a longitudinal study and that would need need a, a well, it would be incredibly complex because of the variability in how we keep our horses. You'd have to have a group of horses that were scanned regularly. They were doing the same exercise. You know, they had the same management, um, you know, the same feeding. Uh, you know, everything would have to be the same so that we could actually draw out which came first. Um, or you'd have to have such a huge population so that actually those uh, random variables were less important that actually it's unlikely to be feasible to uh, be able to go ahead. If you think about longitudinal studies in humans, they study tens of thousands of people, certainly, you know, these uh, public health studies, um, that's how they can get reliable data um, so that then, well, it's not translatable, I don't think, into equine veterinary research. But the take-home message is that we need to target treatment for back dysfunction um, in any situation. Although, you know, the authors say when it's associated with lameness. I think, um, obviously, I am biased because I'm a physiotherapist, but I'm going to say that we need to manage our horses' spines, whether we consider them fit and well, whether they have back pain or whether they have lameness. I think it's really important because what might happen in these situations is that the horse may become sound. Perhaps it is uh, an injury of a a limb that after a couple of months or three months, the horse is then... um, cleared to go and start exercise but if we haven't considered the spine then potentially we're resuming exercise on horses that have atrophied deep spinal stability musculature and that 
in theory, will put them at risk of spinal dysfunction and then lead on to problems later on and to have adverse consequences. So I could push, put a, um, you know, a stake in the ground and say, come on, everybody, let's consider our horse's spines, whether they are sound or not. And um, I, yeah, as a, a summary, I, I really like this paper. You can tell that I am biased. It does sit in my area and um, it supports what I do. So, of course, I am going to like it. Um, I'll hold my hands up to that. But it is really nice to see a study published with decent numbers, uh, a really comprehensive methodology and um, yeah coming up with some real conclusions that really support clinical practice in industry and uh, yeah now we need to see where this takes us I'm hoping that this group of authors have got lots of exciting plans and I look forward to the next papers coming out from them so as ever if you have got any uh, thoughts comments if you've got any questions or if you have any papers that you'd like me to review then please do send uh, messages or emails in um, my direction and yeah thank you very much for listening imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the Stable Science series. If you want to learn more about this topic and our work, head over to the drdavidmarlin.com website. Our website and community of members discuss a wide breadth of topics and the website houses thousands of articles, webinars, videos and research, all designed to help horse owners, riders, trainers and breeders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. The drdavidmarlin.com site is an independent information resource for all equestrians, a source of unbiased, science-based research. To learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook Instagram or Twitter.